Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. The McDonald Gloria Institute is reporting on uh, the oil sands, and the headline of the report is why the oil sands aren't going anywhere and how investment and production benefits Canada. Philip Cross is the author of the report. He's a McDonald Gloria Institute senior fellow, 36 years at Statistics Canada, specializing in macroeconomics. He joins us on the Roy Green Show. Mr. Cross, thank you for taking the time. How are you? Have me back, Roy. So uh, your report begins, while blue-collar work is being devastated in much of the rest of the Western world, the oil sands offer a stable, reliable, and growing sector of the economy that is shielded from cyclical downturns. Speak to us about that, please. Well, in much of the uh, Western world, particularly in the U.S., we've seen uh, you know a lot of this populism that drove the election of uh, Trump came because the working class lost a lot of jobs, uh, particularly in construction and manufacturing and. Uh, you know, when people lose their basic jobs and they lose their homes, you know, they're going to turn to uh, 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 demagogues and, you know, whatever extreme measure that is available. One reason we've had more stability in this country is that we've had a healthy natural resource sector and a, a housing boom for most of the last 10 years. And that's kept a lot of blue-collar workers who, uh, going, and that's lent stability to both our economy and to our uh, democracy. So the jobs continue to exist within the oil sands, and the jobs will continue to exist, you're right. And I'm just quoting from the release here. The oil sands continue to develop a pace despite roadblocks and persistent unfounded pessimism about the viability of the sector. And there's a lot of pe- pessimism out there. And, uh, you know, we're being told repeatedly that the oil sands are in serious trouble, and we have the prime minister of this country saying not to, well, a few years ago, at a town hall, it's time to phase them out, but they will continue to develop, you say. Right. And uh, investment last year, and we all know how, what a tough time uh, the oil sands had last year. Oil prices fell. At one point, they turned negative. But despite low oil prices, investment in the oil sands last year totaled $8.3 billion. That's four, much as, four times as much as all the investment in Ontario's auto industry. So it gives you an idea. It's still an extremely important industry, both for investment, and all of that investment is showing up as continued increases in production. The oil sands are now 70% of all the oil output coming out of uh, Canada, and it's a growing share of the oil imports in the U.S. The the U.S. is achieving more energy independence as they develop their shale oil, but it's interesting that even as they cut back and imports from other countries like uh, Mexico and Venezuela, they've stepped up their imports from Canada. So uh, the oil sands are feeding a a growing share of uh, oil consumption across North America, and I think that's one reason uh, people, well, people aren't aware of that. I think that's one reason people underestimate the uh, continued importance of the oil sands in the oil and gas industry generally in Canada. Now, it's interesting that you're right uh, that uh, the oil sands provide substantial and wide-ranging benefits to Canada as a whole, benefits that extend well beyond Alberta, even before accounting for transfer payments, because there's a sense, or at least there's a, uh, a campaign underway to just really diss the oil sands and say, you know, they don't do anything for the country. It's all down. It's all downside uh, uh, return, but Obviously, very much the opposite. And you also write, I find this fascinating. Well, tell us about what would happen if uh, investment and production 
if the oil sands were to increase by $10 billion a, a year? Well, it would have a differing impacts. Investment, what we found was, and by the way, I used the Stitches Canada's model to, uh, input-output model, to look at the differential impact of investment and production on this. Um, what we found was that investment generates more jobs, but they're more in the short term. Investment tends to be highly cyclical. It goes, it's, it's the part of the oil sands that goes up and down a lot. Mm-hmm. Production is much more stable. You don't get as much bang for your buck in production, but what you do get, you tend to keep year after year. Uh, again, even using the example of last year, despite the very sharp downturn in oil prices, employment in the oil sands barely budged at all, whereas in the conventional oil and gas industry, we, we saw large losses. And, and this reflects that in the oil sands, the upfront investment is such a large part of the cost that once you've made the investment, once you turn that project on, you're almost never going to turn it off unless there's maintenance or some uh, unexpected, uh, something unexpected like, say, the, the fires we saw in Fort McMurray a few years ago. Mm-hmm. If investment in the oil sands were to increase by $10 billion, a viable number given global market trends, you're right, uh, you estimate that over 81,000 jobs would be created, 81,000 jobs, of which over 20% would occur outside of Alberta. That's right, and uh, the biggest part of that actually goes to central Canada and especially Ontario, and it's because Ontario makes a lot of the capital goods, uh, the pipes, the machinery, and uh, so on that go into uh, building an oil sands plant. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot more than Alberta that benefits from this. Every part of Canada benefits, but Ontario benefits the most, uh, even more than the neighboring provinces uh, such as Saskatchewan and British Columbia. Mm-hmm. It would help the household economies of Canadians as well with a $6 billion boost to labor income. We don't hear this sort of thing very often, Mr. Cross. No, and I think it's because what you also don't hear is that, um, the, you know, the, some of the oil sands emissions, some of the plants producing oil sands actually have below average emissions. That's something, uh, you know, I was quite surprised to read that that was an academic study I read while researching this paper, you don't hear about that. You know, the, the coverage of the oil sands in our media tends to be very unidimensional. I mean, we can all think of whenever you see a story about the oil sands, there's always a picture of the giant trucks and the shovels loading yeah. them up yeah. and the tailing pond off to the side. Right. And what isn't shown is that over half of the oil sands now is done underground, what's called in situ, where they heat the oil underground, pull it up through pipes, the, the impact on the environment is absolutely pristine, but because it's, uh, it's not controversial, nobody ever shows that. But as I say, that's over half of the oil sands now. So the oil sands, the understanding and the perception of the oil sands is very misleading, way woefully out of date, uh, and that's something I'm hoping to begin to correct with this paper. Mm-hmm. Go back to something you said a couple of minutes ago, while substantially less than at its peak at the height of the oil boom in 2014, oil sands investment totaling $8.3 billion in 2020 is still 4.5% of all business investment in this country. That's huge. That is huge, and particularly at a time when we're having a lot of trouble attracting business investment to the country. Right. Uh, again, people don't realize since 2015, investment in this country is down about 33%. Uh, we're not going to have sustained long-term growth and uh, healthy growth in jobs in this country with investment like that. Uh, 
So we should be, instead of discouraging investment in the oil sands and related industries like the pipelines, we should be looking to these industries to lead growth. And it's interesting that coming out of the pandemic, by far the strongest sector in the economy today, no question about it, is the resource sector. Everything related to resources is booming these days. Forestry, mining, uh, even oil is back up to $64 a barrel. So, you know, a lot of people talk about building back better and in the future, you know, we're going to have this transition to a digital economy. And yet it's the old school industries in Canada, like natural resources and housing, that are driving the recovery. Yeah, and it's old school uh, resources that's driving the world's economy. The world wants what we have. Uh, it's one of the few things we have that the world wants. Uh, whereas you look at Stackhand's last report on exports, while every resource c- component was up year over year, every component related to manufacturing is down. Now, some of that's related to the chip shortage in autos, so that's a, a bit misleading. But it's interesting that even sectors that haven't been affected by the shortage of chips is seeing a decline. And yet you talk to our politicians and everybody talks about how uh, it's digital services and high-tech manufacturing that's going to drive growth. Uh, no, what this, what's going to drive growth is what this c- country has always been good right. at. Things like the auto industry and resources and housing. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.